Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Good morning, everybody. We're coming to you live um, with John Pugh from EXP Realty. Um, out in, um, where are you at, John? You're in Huntington Orange, Beach? Orange County, California. Yeah, Huntington Beach. OC? The so real how OC. Is that? Like, I'm super jealous because we're in Colorado and it sucks right now. Um, <laughs> so can we live vicariously through you? Like, how awesome is it out there? So little known fact, or maybe a, a broadly known fact, Denver gets more days of sunshine than Southern California does. Wow. True yeah, story. but you get that perfect, like, awesome weather all the time though. So, so I was telling my uh, business partner, Missy, uh, we were flying home and anytime you come back to Orange County, uh, we flew into LA, which sucks. Like I try and avoid LA like the plague, but we flew in and I'm like, God, it's always good to be home in sunny SoCal. I go, I think I'm just like a little snowflake. Like I always fantasize about living elsewhere. Like I want to move to Boise or like, you know, just unplug and get off the grid and just go somewhere and live there. But really the thing that keeps me here is the weather. And so I, I am like, I have a zone that's like this big in which I can exist. Like if the weather's like 65 to like 73, I'm happy. 75 is too hot, 64 is too cold. So as long as we're in that one little space, like I tend to be pretty good with it. Cali's perfect. I mean, it can't get better than that. I grew up in Van Nuys. So yeah. the, um, I say the Valley and people are like, Oh, you're a valley girl. And I'm like, not that valley. <laughs> a little bit rougher okay. than that. But yeah, the weather is like, it's incredible. Yep. We pay for the sunshine. I hear you're into like snowboarding and stuff though, right? That's my number one favorite thing to do is snowboard. So that's like how you um, unplug and get away. Yeah. If I can get on top of a mountain, it's pretty hard to be pissed off. So um, I try and get up like uh, a couple years ago, maybe five years ago, I was getting up like 25, 30 times a year. Um, and then it, uh, I've had times where it's been like that. And then this year it's been like over 12 months since I've seen the snow and I really miss it. Um, and yet, you know, I, I just have to buckle down right now. And the good news is this, the snowboarding season this year sucks. So, um, I feel like not I haven't missed out much. Not here. Yeah. yeah. You can snowboard in Jess's backyard right now. <laughs> I got to fly to Colorado then. It's true. There you go. We've got room. As long as we can go out there and go to the beach, you can come out here and have our, our shitty weather as much Are as it's not shitty. It's awesome. Are you? Are you? It's awesome for like two weeks, and now we're no. all tired of it. No. Yeah, so, today so, is six. Six so, degrees is the winter. All right. So, so what I love is sometimes I have a lot of friends in like upstate New York and everything, and they always talk about the shitty weather and the snow. And I'm like, yes, you're right. It sucks. Like I don't want snow where it's flat. But if you have mountains, like bring on the snow. Like eight, nine, twelve months of the year. Like Mammoth got enough snow last year that they literally could have snowboarded year round. Oh, wow. And one of my, one of my dreams, one of my goals is to go and like chase the winter for the whole year and wow. to be able to go to the Southern hemisphere during the summer here and snowboard throughout the entire winter in Chile or somewhere like that. Wow. Yeah. We're going to call you Sean, Sean Pugh, like Sean White Pugh. For the rest I'll take of it. I'll take it. You know, he has a house in Huntington. I love him. I'm kind of slightly obsessed with him. He's right. <laughs> Jess and I would just like to be on the beach. That's all. 
Same. I know a great agent. <laughs> do you? Yeah, I do. I I'm can't for California. Yeah, how does a normal person afford to live in Huntington? Like, unless you're Kristen Cavallari or Lauren Conrad from the Hills. Like, how does that happen? Um, I guess you have to have a, a lot of hustle, sell a lot of houses, or get a job working at one of these big, you know, firms or some type of some type of company that's based here. You know, it's really crazy. Like when you think about it, because what insane person would headquarter their company in California, right? Yeah. So, you know, with taxes and everything else. And yep. so, you know, it, it's weird to think that there's these jobs and we definitely have a housing crisis. Like there's a large majority of people who can't really afford and can barely afford to pay rent. And then, you know, in order to afford a 750 or a million dollar house, what does your income have to look like? Um, it's pretty crazy. Um, and our average sales price, I just got that question is, uh, you know, I like to say around 750 ish, uh, depending, you know, we sell around a million, million two. Um, that's a little more affluent. Um, you can't find, there are no houses um, under 500,000, zero. Oh my gosh. That's actually not as bad as I thought it would be. Like, because so, yeah. I think about like, as you go further north, obviously like into Bay Area, I mean, it's just insane. But like, yeah. so what do you get for 700? What do you get for your average sales price there? So like 750 gets you maybe detached. Like I put a single story, three bedroom, 1200 square foot house on in Huntington like a week and a half ago. And I got 120 groups through the open houses. I got 16 offers and we put it in escrow at 796 with like oh. no, no contingencies. So you can so, barely be detached under 800. So I was there a couple of years ago on vacation and I, I was just flabbergasted by the prices and we were on, Hollywood Boulevard, LA. And I asked the Oakley, because we were in an Oakley store, and I asked him, I'm like, if you don't mind me asking, how much do you make? And he, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I was like, oh, you're working at an Oakley store, living in LA, like, what is it here? And he basically just told me, I make 50,000 a year, I'm a manager. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, what? You're making 50,000 a year and you live in LA? And he goes, no, I live outside of LA. I drive an hour and a half in, and a how hour and a half out. He goes, families live together. There's generations that live yeah. together because the, the housing, is that how it is? To, to work at the Oakley store. <laughs> right. So like, first, first of all, wait, 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 wait. First of all, Kristen, I feel like we just became better friends because <laughs> you just admitted that you went into the Oakley store. Yes. <laughs> Did you have some like fantasy that you were gonna find something in there that you were actually gonna purchase? Like, yes, I like Oakley, okay? Back I, up. I used to be, so, so I used to be somewhat unemployed um, not that long ago. And what I mean by that is I was transitioning out of being a team leader and I was getting back into production and I found myself with all this like weird free time. And so I spent a lot of time at the mall and I cannot tell you how many times I've walked in to the Oakley store and just, looked, and just looked around and been like, not even the snowboarding stuff, like what, who shops here? So anyway, yeah, do, do people live together multi-gener, you're keeping them in business, good. I'm really, I'm really soaked on that, Kristen. Thank you for paying for his $50,000 salary with your, with your $100 like sweatshirt or whatever the hell you bought. <laughs> um, no, yeah, people live together. People live in lower priced areas. You know, most people pay a shit ton of money in rent. They pay too much money to, you know, a corporate landlord. Like our biggest landlord in the area is the Irvine Company. And they are like uh, Disneyland or another, you know, anything that's designed to suck your money out of you. 
So they're like, hey, move in special. We'll put a big screen TV on the wall if you sign up today. And there's a wine mixer downstairs, you know, every day. And, and we'll change your light bulbs and deliver your mail. And it's all just designed to trap you in that lifestyle forever so that you'll continue to pay, you know, $50 here, $100 there each year, each month, so on and so forth, and, and never move out. And so, you know, the hardest part for people, I think, is saving that down payment. And, and getting to a point where they, you know, cause home is now a reflection of you, who you are as a person. And you know, it didn't, that wasn't always the case, right? Like home used to just be shelter and like stability and a place to raise a family and all that stuff. And now, you know, people, I like to say everybody wants a gourmet kitchen, but nobody cooks. Right. And, and so they're like, if you, if, if my house doesn't reflect like who I am and my personality, then like, I don't want it. And so people are like almost embarrassed. Like we, we offered to throw a housewarming party for all our clients. And unless they're of like a certain caliber or like a lot of people don't take us up on it because it's almost like they don't want to invite people over because even though they saved this tremendous amount of money, which is insane, and they put it towards a house, which is a great investment and a really good decision, they still, you know, they, they don't want to flaunt it because they're like, oh, well, I don't have 3,000 square feet of open concept with modern farmhouse and you know, all this other stuff that they think that, you know, just because Chip and Go Joanna did that in Nowheresville, fuck Texas, like that, that they're supposed to be able to do that here in SoCal. Like, actually, hey, well, we don't, we don't speak badly about Chip. Uh, uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I have Chip laugh running through my veins. If you can ask that. So I can, I can see, like, yes. I was, I was really, I, that was really just a way for me to talk shit on your background. <laughs> house john thank you you're welcome i'm sure you're proud of it i'm sure you have people come over don't worry i have backgrounds too see welcome to my fireplace Ooh, it's so cozy Ooh, wow. somebody get me a, a wine spritzer i'm just angry that all this time that we've spent on zoom nobody's been like we can have flair like how, how right. did we miss that you guys I have no idea <laughs> Oh man, I blame Lindsay. It's what like, else can we do? Can you make me prettier? I would like the <laughs> Botox. I'm 26 again. Filter, please. I I have clients who could do that. Uh, yeah, where you are, I bet you do. I have yes, a client. I, you do. I have a client who worked for Allergan. Botox was like his specialty. Yeah, um, I was in the doctor's office the other day, and they left me sitting in there unassisted, which is never a good idea because i always right. get myself into trouble anywhere i am and you were just like grabbing botox needles and no, like stuffing the, them in the, your purse like. yes so the <laughs> the cabinet said botox and i'm like documenting it on instagram walking around like opening up the cabinet and i'm like this is literally worth more than gold like i'm taking this shit out of here and then the doctor came back in too fast it's it's all well and good until it like fucks up and like drips and like half your face looks like a stroke victim and you're just like is there any way that instead of talking about real estate, we could just talk about your best, like you've seen botched plastic surgery? <laughs> I feel like you see that down there in SoCal. Mostly just the real estate agents. <laughs> That's <laughs> Wow. <laughs> what does Walmart look like there? Uh, it look, so Walmart looks like Walmart everywhere. Mm. But really? I feel like it's like extra. Cause you have to be extra there, right? I mean, no. And Walmart is Walmart. I feel like California is like that mystical place that you visit and you might connect to go somewhere else. And like, you can't stay there for more than like a week, week and a half before like- You run out of money. You run out of money. Yeah, it's like Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like Hawaii, exactly. <laughs>
this would be nice. Their tourism commercials are even really good. Like every time they come on TV and all the celebrities are like fucking paragliding off of a mountain and like at the beach holding their, it's not a canoe, their surfboard. (laughs) (laughs) In Colorado, we're very different. In Colorado, it would be like Birkenstocks and a kayak. Yeah, (laughs) and a Patagonia sweatshirt on. Yeah, I rock rock Patagucci all day long for sure. And everybody gives me shit. I I started to look uh, before Bieber did it. Have you guys all seen the Bieber meme with like Bieber? Yeah, where he looks like a homeless guy now. 2020 Bieber looking like he wants to get 2012 Bieber in his van or something like that. And, uh, and, and that was, so that looked, what we call that is we call that hobo chic. Like a thing. Uh-huh. It's a so, thing. like because we're we're all hobo. The more yeah, the I've more homeless since ninety-six. <laughs> so, so the trick is the more homeless you look, the more money you have. Except for the real homeless people. <laughs> but you can never tell. Which is the point. <laughs> uh, I, you wanna hear one more fun story on that? Yes. So we were we were at Monster Jam this weekend, which is about as redneck as we get. That's um, my favorite. In, in SoCal. <laughs> and so I have all these friends, we call them river people, like, right? Like they go to Arizona and they have like boats and like dirt yeah. toys. Kristen, you got, yeah, you guys would get along real well. And um, so we're at Monster Jam and my friend's like, see, this is super fun. I'm not a redneck and like all this stuff. We're making jokes because her and her kids are out in the parking lot, like on their like four wheelers, like screwing around. And then there's these people coming by. And I'm talking about how these people are like looking at them and judging them. These like Orange County people are like, oh my God, who are those like rednecks letting their kids just run wild in the parking lot and like get crazy. And, um, and then we're standing there in the thing and she sees them walking up. They're leaving after like the first thing, right? Like 10 minutes in, they're just leaving. They're and Angelina's like, kids. Yeah, it, it's like it's like Lawrence and like um, you know, like like I don't know their names, right? But like Steven or like something very like boring. And they have like a one guy has a visor on, like straight up as like a visor and a polo. And um, she's like, look, those are the people. Like those are the same judges, whatever. And uh, as their car was going by, of course, I'm like, yeah, don't worry. Of course, they drive a Subaru. From Colorado, you Colorado people will get it. This is like this is like SoCal Subaru. Like there's nobody drives Subaru in SoCal, yeah. right? Like right. you're definitely trying to rock a look. So, I went to the Monster Jam World Finals. We road tripped all the way down to Vegas. We've been twice. It was like the most magical experience ever. It, it was super fun. My it kid loved it. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> I have nothing to add on that. <clears throat> but. <Sorry. laughs> I haven't been to Monster Jam. Lindsay never takes me, so I have to go. You have to go. Um, So I want to talk about what you're wearing, first of all. Um, Yeah. So Generosity Global happens to be something that I have been paying quite a bit of attention to. So can you tell me a little bit about it and where it came from and why it is what it is? Yeah, the movement. All right. So... um, I was talking to Sheena about this yesterday. So my one of my best friends is Sheena Burton Sadem. She is um, a celebrity. Uh, she is uh, social media famous, I guess, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, and I only say that because random people will come up to her when we're trying to get shit done at a conference and be like, um, "Excuse me, uh, uh, are you Sheena? Um, can I just can I get a picture with you?" And I and I just laugh my ass off because I'm like, you know that she's like the biggest nerd that ever lived. Like she. Totally is not famous. But anyway, so I started, uh, I started 
getting really connected with her like five years ago and, and we became really good friends and I watched what she was doing. And to me, it was almost like a superhero because she was on like four boards and she was doing all this change and, and stuff in the community. And then she's like, we're going to build a shower truck for the homeless and we're going to build wells in Africa and whatever. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Like, I would love to do that stuff, but like, you have to be special. Like somehow you have to like know people and have money and like, how do you get on a board? Like, I didn't know how any of that worked. And so I just kind of watched and paid attention. And then I met Rich who founded Generosity Global and, and I figured it out. And really what we found is that the barrier to charity is like a pencil. So like, if I put this pen down on the ground and tell you, you have to step over it in order to do good, you won't. Um, any, any barrier to doing something to make an impact is too much of a barrier because people feel like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to raise money. I don't know how to get involved. I don't know how to get on a board. Like it's all too complicated. And so what we've done is tried to figure out how to strip the barrier away. So Sheena has like a little donation box, like a flyer box. She has it on her front porch. And so anytime she asks her network to bring like shoes or clothes or like Legos, like, I don't know if you guys know like how incredibly expensive Legos are and we don't even think about it. Like we take it for granted, but this is something that I've become like crazy aware of lately because of the stories I've heard. Like kids, poor kids want Legos. Like Legos are like normal, right? And so kid, these kids, like they want to be normal and they want Legos and like nobody who doesn't have money can afford Legos. And so like she just has people drop stuff off and they can grab the donation and it makes it easy. And so Generosity Global is, uh, is a global organization founded by Rich Aquo that uh, does stuff here locally in our community. They've done Selfless Saturday. They serve the homeless every second Saturday outside of Baltimore or in Baltimore under like a freeway overpass. They build wells in Africa to bring clean water. And so, you know, people are like, well, why do you build wells in Africa? Well, if I take $5 and I invest it here, it can only go so far. But if I take $5 and I invest it in Africa, it can actually have impact and change lives. And so our goal is to bring clean water because once you realize that children in Africa are the same, like children are children. And so children in Africa like were, were dealt a hand that unless someone comes and helps them, no one's going to come and help them. Like a kid in America might be able to figure it out. They might be able to eat out of a dumpster. They might be able to have somebody here like rise up. They might be able to get some help in school. Um, a kid in Africa doesn't have that. And so we, we put that money where it's going to have its greatest use. And when you realize, like, I love my children, like, I'm a super hands-on dad. And when it finally clicked for me that, like, those kids in Africa are no different than the kids in my own home, then I realized that, like, it's bullshit that people, that, that there are children dying right now of dirty water. Like, they, like, they'll drink dirty water and get diarrhea and die. And, like, there's no reason for that. And so when I aligned with Generosity Global and I put the mission first, which is to raise as much money as possible to bring clean water to Africa and then build shower trucks for the homeless and give them dignity and, and hope and then do the selfless Saturday and the giving and, and what we do here and the whole movement. When I focused on that, it changed my entire business uh, because I used to be very destination oriented. And so it was like, oh, I want to sell this many houses or I want to make this much money or I want to get this many referrals or whatever it was, right? There was always an end point. There was always something like that, th an outcome, right? And so whether those were tied to something that was good, like I want to help a hundred families make a move, right? Like even though it was positive, it, it was still an outcome. Mm -hmm. 
And when I switched it to the mission, like what, what I've realized with mission-driven businesses is like the mission is the filter. And so every single decision that you make on a daily basis, like when I wake up in the morning, when I decide how to prioritize my day, when I decide who to meet with, when I decide every single thing I do, I filter through the mission of raising money for kids who need it, building shower trucks for the homeless, clean water projects. I filter it all through that. And I decide if those actions are going to help me get closer to my, my mission. And as a result, I don't need to see the destination. I don't need to see the end of, of the tunnel. I just need to be able to see a few steps ahead of me. And then I know that I'm, down, I'm going down that path and it's the right direction. And that change in frequency and that change in vibration has literally opened up a, an entire world of opportunity for me that I, I can't even put into words. It's really crazy. That's awesome. Um, so I feel like a lot of people want to have some kind of a mission when they start their business, some way to give back to someone. Um, how do you decide on what that mission is going to be? Like there's so many yeah. different things that you can give to like, how do you decide? So it started for me with, I used to say I donate three times um, from a transaction and I would tell them that I donate uh, to KW Cares and I would explain KW Cares and how that uh, helps associates in our company. Uh, my goal was always to be the largest KW Cares donor in my area. Um, and I figured that if I was doing that, that I had my priorities straight. Uh, my second thing I would say is I donate, I'm involved in Make-A-Wish Foundation. So before I was, um, before I started doing client events and before I had much of a budget, I was involved in, uh, in Make-A-Wish Foundation Young Professionals. And I got into that because my cousin, when I was a little kid, was a wish kid and ended up passing away. And, um, and so I would invite people to their parties. So instead of hosting my own parties, I'd, I'd invite them to those parties. And then the third thing I would say is um, I'll donate to something that's important to you. And so my clients would come up with all kinds of really cool things and I would get introduced to different charities. And one of them, uh, my favorite one that I ever got was Golden Retrievers of the Rockies. And you, and you can look it up. And I'm, I made a donation to them. And about that time I realized that like, this is really impactful and this is important. But the problem is, is that these things are not essentially my own and, the, and I'm not backing one horse. And so as much as I wanted to give some money to Golden Retrievers of the Rockies, I'm sure it's a great organization, like it wasn't deep within my heart. And so what we tell people about Generosity Global and picking a charity is like, pick a charity that's really important to you. Pick something that you can really connect with their mission and that you can really get bought in. And when I say bought in, I mean like all the way bought in. Not like, I'm just going to give some money or like, if you just want to give some money, that's fine. But if you can make it about more than that, if you can really kind of make it part of your ethos and who you are, then it's going to become a bigger deal. So we say, find that, right? Or go create that, do whatever that is. But we're back to the pencil. Most people won't do that, right? And so what we've decided is that we want to bring the opportunity of generosity global as far and wide as we can, because if you don't have your own charity, if you, if you can't start your own, if you don't know something, if you can't get on a board, then buy, buy the hoodie, like literally buy the hoodie. And the reason, and Sheena and I talked about this yesterday, the reason you got to buy the hoodie is because once you put this on, you, you will feel like a poser if you don't get involved. And so you can't rock the hoodie and, and put it on social media and have everybody be like, oh, you're part of the tribe, you're part of the movement, unless you actually care and unless you actually want to get more involved. 
because otherwise you go to sleep at night and you feel like a total imposter. And so, so where do they find the hoodie? How do they buy it? So generosityglobal.org slash shop. And, um, and then we give them out. So for everybody who buys a home, sells a home, refers us a client, joins our uh, tribe at eXp, we give one to everybody. And the reason that we give the hoodie out is again, to raise awareness. Like I was wearing this in the airport in Dallas and I had this random lady come up to me and she's like looking at me and I'm on my phone, right? Like I'm not paying attention, I'm just like this. And she's like checking me out. And I'm like, I'm not that handsome. Like, come on, what's going on here? <laughs> and, and she's like, excuse me. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, are you from Baltimore? I'm like, no. She's like, well, what, what's with the hoodie? And I'm like, oh, Generosity Global. Yeah, like I'm involved in the charity. She's like, I bring the girls, I work at this school and I bring the girls there and what you're doing is amazing and da da da. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, I cannot believe I'm being stopped in the airport here with somebody who's connected to this. And I, I was like, you know, well, we're here, we're, we're raising money for Generosity Global. We're doing a charity event. That's why I'm here. And, um, and essentially she was like, well, how do I get more involved? Like, how do I donate money? I want to be more involved, da, da, da. And so when you start to have strangers in the airport approach you, like my flight attendant on Southwest on the way home was like, I love that hoodie. We need more generosity in the world. Like he did a whole PSA thing on the, on the mic about kindness. And, um, and when I was leaving, I was like, dude, the, the charity's Generosity Global. You got to look it up. You can buy the hoodie. And so, you know, that it's that branding. It all ties together. Like it's not just one piece. It's, it's extremely circular. Yeah, definitely. Um, so expanding on that, so the mission, what your personal mission is, is what's driving your business, right? So yeah, yeah you also get to make a bunch of money. That's the cool part. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> like, Fair I tell, like I tell everybody, like there's nothing wrong with a Lambo, right? Like it, it's just, you sound like a dickhead if you call everybody and you're like, I want a Lambo. And so you don't lead with that. Like yeah. it's, it's not about what you're going to buy. It's not about the snowboarding trip or whatever it is for you, right? Cause like, I'm not a car guy, like I don't want a Lambo, but I use it as an example because it's not about not having what you want or not providing for your family. It's just, you need to lead with a different filter. Like if you lead with how much you're gonna give and what your goal is to change the world and, and spread kindness and do great things, then the rest of that stuff takes care of itself. But if you lead with the like, I need to make a certain amount of money, you're always gonna be chasing money and money's not gonna come to you. Right. Yeah, but if money is your focus, you're never going to have it. Yep. So, yeah. We're going to talk about um, mm -hmm. some mental health and mindset stuff, which is super important and not enough people talk about. But I would venture to guess that you would probably say that having a mission that isn't just money or object or destination, the way that you put it, focused, helps with your mindset. I know for me, that's one of the biggest things gratitude and helping others for sure yeah if you put gratitude yeah if you put gratitude and how many people you can help at the forefront like it's hard to get down however you also have to realize that like gratitude is not a magic pill so like you people i think people who struggle with mental health there is this cycle this sort of like drain that you can get caught into which is like i know what i'm supposed to be doing like, I know the, I know that if I just focus on gratitude, I know I have so much, like, look at all these things in my life and I'm still not happy. Like, look at the, look at the family that I have and the love and the support and like all these things that like, I could make a list every morning, like a hundred miles long. And yet, like, what if you do all that shit you're supposed to do? And like, you're still depressed 
or you're still anxious or you're still stressed or like, what if you're like, oh my God, I have all these things I'm grateful for and I don't deserve them. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Raise your hand if you're human. Yeah. Like, and that's where it gets really dark because then you're like, holy shit. Like I, I didn't earn all this. Like I don't, I don't really deserve all this. And so they love me, you know, without question for, and, and I'm still a shithead. Like, cause people, cause people are human, right? And you do stupid stuff and you make mistakes. And like, when the pressure's on, like, sometimes it's a lot easier to just make like a cheap decision in the moment that makes you feel better than something that you know is going to be long lasting and impactful. Yeah. Do you want to go there? Do you want to tell us your story with mental health and those struggles? I mean, sure. Like, I'll, I mean, I'm an open book. I, since I've started talking more about this, like, okay, first of all, disclaimer, like when I, I say mental health, like a lot of people get like really weirded out by that. They're like, oh my God, this person's like, you know, when we're, if we're going to talk about mental health, we need to talk about like people being in a padded room. Right. And like, when I, when I use the words mental health, like, I don't mean like padded rooms, although right. that, that exists too. What I mean is like mental well-being right? Like, like peacefulness. And so like, I think people really more than ever now struggle with peacefulness. And like, there's a part, um, there's a part in church where they talk about like, I'm a, I'm a Catholic convert. And there's a part in, in church where they talk about grant me, you know, peace and grant me, uh, keep me free from anxiety. Right. And like that, that's like in church, <laughs> Like, cause that shit's real. And if you've never struggled with anxiety, like you don't know. And so for me at all, I mean, it didn't start, like I probably had it, had anxiety or dealt with anxiety or different forms of, of, you know, mental health struggle for 10 plus years. It was something that was more or less manageable at any given time. Um, it didn't get really bad until I became a team leader. Mm. And so when I became a team leader, um, I, it, it literally... Yeah. Sorry, back up for like 30 seconds. Not everybody that's listening knows what a team leader is. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I became a team leader, which is like an office manager or um, just I ran an, a Keller Williams franchise. So I was running that franchise and it came with really strict standards and really harsh accountability and very little support. And so um, I had to recruit 10 people per month minimum. It didn't, you know, ideally they were productive agents. It didn't really matter ultimately at the end of the day, if they were or not, um, you know, I, I liken it, I, like with a gun to my head, like, like I will, like I say it like literally with a gun to my head and, and it didn't matter if I had ethical or moral issues with, you know, the decisions that were being made at the time. Um, you know, I raised lots of questions along the way and was told that, that we couldn't do that or that that was against the rules or basically told that if I, you know, didn't just do my job and keep my mouth shut that I was going to be fired. And, you know, when you take, I took that opportunity because it was an opportunity. And when you start to have success, you get opportunities presented to you. And I took it out of ego. Um, I, that not entirely, but when I look back on it, like the, the reason that I took it that was wrong was because of ego. And as a result, I had all this pressure to live up to this expectation. And I couldn't just turn around and say, no, I couldn't just be like, never mind, I quit. Like I had to prove it to myself and to the people that saw me take it, that I could do it. And so I got stuck in this cycle of, um, of, of real anxiety of like, I would wake up in the morning 
and like I'd be physically sick. Like like I'd throw up like you know multiple times before going to work, and pull it together. And and I had uh, my coach Sarah D'Angelo was incredible, and she wasn't actually coaching me at the time. She was just mentoring me and a friend, and she was like, "You're really brave." And I was like, "I'm not really brave." And she's like, "Yes, you are." She's like, "I know that because you keep showing up." Mm. And I was like that like hit me right in the feels right. And I really needed to hear that that one day, but like it, it was really intense and you don't know how to get out of it. And so then I started coping the only way I really knew how, which was to drink. And so by, you know, by drinking and it's real estate, right? So it's like, Oh, let's get a beer at lunch or let's go play golf and have some drinks or, Oh, let's, you know, no one's going to show up to the team meeting, right? Like no one's going to show up to the team meeting if we don't have margaritas like who would who would come to the team meeting if there's no margaritas, right? And, and like real life, like real life. And what's what's interesting and what's funny is my OP at the time uh, wasn't a drinker and brought it up, and a few other people brought it up. And like I was so in it that there was no way that I was going to be able to be like, no, like we don't need we don't need margaritas at the meeting. Like that's crazy. And so um, ultimately, you know, that led to a really bad cycle. And so even after me getting out of being a team leader, like for the last several years, you know, I struggled with, you know, just trying to fight that anxiety. And so I would have periods of time where I was okay. And then I would have period of time where it was really bad. And then I would drink to push those feelings down. And then the more, and then you would wake up and the alcohol is not there. And so then your anxiety goes from being like a seven to like an 11 and, and then a 20. And then it's just this vicious cycle. And so I would wake up and like, number one, you wake up and you feel like crap. And then number two, you've got the anxiety and the, and the mental health things on top of it. And you don't know how to find your way out. And so you're, you're just like, my business is suffering. My life is suffering. My relationships are suffering. Everything, I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. Like everything. And I'm the cause of this. Like I'm the one making these decisions. I'm the one screwing this all up. And so like here are all these people that, that love me and care about me and want me to succeed and think that I'm great. And like in reality, like I'm not, I'm not being 100% true or honest, and they're not really seeing that. And so it, it just, it got to a point where like, I literally, there was a day where I had to, uh, I had to take a mental health day. I had to tell like my friend, I was like, you know what? Like, I can't do anything today. Like I canceled appointments. Like I, I even think I missed an appointment and like, I don't miss appointments. Like I, I have never, like, it does not happen. Like I tell people like, if you can't find me, like call the cops. Cause like, I, I never miss my schedule. I am obsessive about being on time and early and meeting people. And so I even like missed a meeting and I took a day and took my kid to Disneyland because I just had to like escape reality. Like that's how bad it was. And that's when I knew like, I have to make a change. Like something has to be different here. And that's when I decided I was like, you know what? And, and I had a really good friend. So she reached out to me and, and we were talking and, and I was explaining to her what I was going through. And, um, and I say a really good friend, like this was like a stranger. This was like an internet friend that like, I didn't know that well. Like it was not a close friend, right? I had plenty of close friends tell me all kinds of things, but she shared her story with me and she was really brave and she opened up and shared some like really crazy shit with me that I like could not believe that she shared. And, she, and I was like, yeah, da, da, da. And I said something about drinking and she said, don't drink. And she's like, just don't drink. And I had heard it before, but like, for some reason, you know, you can't be a prophet in your own backyard. And so like, it took this somewhat stranger telling me like, don't drink. And then like a week later, so I had stopped drinking for a few days. And then a week later she checked in and I had just like partied the night before or something. And, uh, and she asked me, 
how many days do you have? And I was like, I was too embarrassed to respond. And so like the very next day is when I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. And like, the reason I stopped drinking isn't because I, I, because of drinking. Like the reason I stopped drinking is because of anxiety and because of my struggles with that spiral and that, and that circle. And, you know, I mean, for sure, like at, at its worst, like I would lay in bed, I couldn't sleep. Like I would lay in bed at night and just think like, am I really supposed to be here? Like, am I, like, would my family be better off without me? Like, would the world be better off without me? I mean, it, it got really dark and really scary. And, and that's because you're not seeing things clearly. Like that's because you're not in a place where you can really see um, the bright light, even though you know it's there, you can't feel it. This is one of my favorite things I feel like that's happening. Um, okay, like I, you and I can go there with each other. I'll try not to make everybody crazy because I'm like the mindset hippie, but like the, uh, awaken, the awakening as a whole that society is having right now where it's okay yeah. to talk about these things and it's okay to connect on a soul level with other people about these things. But certainly in real estate, because like this business for so many decades and years has just been controlled by like complete egomaniacal psychopaths. And the really scary thing about that is how many of us came up in this business, idolizing people and lives and businesses that we had no actual concept of because we've only seen the surface. So I just think it's amazing how um, people are becoming more open and they're sharing their stories. Um, we have a guest that's coming on tomorrow, I think that has been like super open about depression and all the stuff that that's caused in his life. And I also want to just commend you as a man, like for the men to talk about this stuff to me is super brave and incredible. So thank you for sharing that part of your story. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, um, it's been awesome. Like since talking about it more, like the response is incredible. And what people need to realize is like, you say mental health and they think, think padded room. But when we're talking about like mental wellness, like for people who have never experienced it, like you're so lucky, but like you don't, you are experiencing it and you don't know. Yes. And that's the important thing is like, not only are you experiencing it with your colleagues, not only are you experiencing it with your team, like one in five people this year will suffer from some type of mental health issue. Like one out of five, which means that one, two, three, four, five, right? One of us on the call, and I'll just raise my hand and so will everybody else in some way, right? We've all dealt with it. And everyone you interact with is dealing with it on some level and, and your kids are dealing with it. And, and kids these days and what's going on in schools, in elementary school, kids as young as five years old are dealing with anxiety. Like it, it, is, it is omnipresent in our society right now. And social media doesn't generally do a lot to help. And I do believe that social media can be a solution. And yet right now, I think social media is largely part of the problem. And so until more people start speaking about it openly and shining a light on it and being honest and genuine and real with, with, their, um, with, with their, their filter, with the way that they portray themselves to the world, with their highlight reel, as you may call it, right? Like until that shows more of like the truth rather than just like their best life, this like curated bullshit, then we're not gonna find our way out of this problem and we're gonna have more kids, you know, killing themselves and more adults overdosing and all of the other things that go on um, in regards to that. Or just living in like misery purgatory, which many people who don't even have like crisis mode happening in their lives are just sitting there miserable. It's awful. 
do you want to talk about um, raising the bar really fast while we're on this? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started a, uh, a Facebook group with my friend Lauren Taylor, and it is called Raising the Bar. And it is uh, essentially a place for people in the real estate industry who uh, want to have fun and be cool and, and mastermind and have a great time and do it without, uh, without alcohol. So, uh, it, you know, for me, it, it was never about like being an alcoholic or I, I really hate that term because I think that term is a barrier to a lot, a lot of people who are like, I'm not an alcoholic. It's like, it's not the point. Like for me, it was like, alcohol doesn't serve me and alcohol is not doing any good in my life or contributing positively to me. And so I don't need it. And so I figured that if I feel this way, and I know a few other people feel this way, there's got to be a lot of people that feel this way. And so my vision is to have like an alcohol-free, like prohibition style, like mixer and group and stuff. So like at these conferences, there's a place to go where you can still have a fun time and you can still be around people and you can still network, but you don't necessarily have to be like, you know, who's going to get drunk and fall asleep on a park bench in Austin and wake up with a you know, police officer flashing their light in their face. I, like I did that. Like, that wasn't that wasn't a problem. Like, I mean, those conferences can be like a straight up cesspool. Like we've talked about this before. Like they're like I've seen people in the back of the room throwing up in trash cans while somebody is on the main stage talking. Like, wait, you saw me? <laughs> um, I, I thought I was real sneaky. <laughs> oh, there's there's affairs happening. Oh, for every sure. Thirty five seconds. Like I don't really understand what that conference culture is about, but that's a whole other. So, like, just out of curiosity, and maybe all of you girls can answer this as well as John, I, I don't want to say that I've never dealt with anxiety or I've never dealt with a mental health issue. I mean, I, I'm sure I have. I did feel it last year in 2019. I did feel some, but I got myself back on track. I got one. For someone who doesn't understand mental health, for someone who doesn't understand anxiety like myself, what would you want us to do for you if you saw somebody? What do you want me to do for you? If I saw you in a depressed mode or an anxiety mode, what, what do you want me to do? Because it kind of it happened with my husband last year where he was telling me he was getting anxiety and he wasn't feeling good. I didn't know how to react. I didn't know what to do. What do you do? Um, I'm like super emotional right now. Yeah, like I struggle. Um, I struggle really bad with anxiety, like to the point where it is debilitating. And I have since I was 16. Um, I actually just had a conversation with Ian. I think it was yesterday. Ian's my husband. Um, and I was explaining to him. So like, just to give you like an idea of the way that somebody with anxiety's mind works. If he doesn't text me when he gets to work, I am literally in like, insane mode thinking he was killed in a car accident and his car is burning on the side of I-25. There's nothing rational about it. And like in my heart, like I know, he, or it, you know, in my mind, I know he's 99.99%. It's that 0.1% though that controls my entire. And so I think for me, like when I'm in that mode, did he sit here and like laugh or anything yesterday? No. The second he got to work, he texted me and said, just so you know, I'm at work. He heard me. He acknowledged that I can be crazy and that I need him to calm me down. And I think that that's all you can do is listen. I, you know, I can't speak for anybody else on this that struggles with this, but there's nothing you can do other than I love you. I care about you. I'm here. And, and that's it. That's all you can do. And Jess is a trauma survivor. 
Um, I think that most human beings on some level are trauma survivors. And I think, again, that's like one of the most amazing things in the world that people are starting to go inward and dig into that stuff and start to deal with it. But um, I mean, I suffer really badly with the two. My anxiety is different than her anxiety. Um, but I wouldn't tell someone to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like that's the first, like if I, if I could calm down, I, I, I would, would calm down. I would. Like, it's not like, it's, it's not like I'm trying to make a scene or be obnoxious or cause somebody problems. Like if I could chill out, I would chill out. Um, but I think she's exactly right. Just like, just being there and like checking on people when they start to ghost you, maybe a little bit or disappear and you might feel like they're in trouble. Like just checking in and saying text. hi how are you i love you yeah well and the other story i always tell is when we were in hawaii this last year and i'll share this with you because i think this is this really truly is like the perfect story to describe anxiety so we were snorkeling and my husband got like a little bit away from us and i'm not a good swimmer and i'm terrified of the ocean um well we saw an eel and i panicked. <laughs> Legitimately panicked. So I literally went from there's an eel to my heart is pounding to, oh my God, I'm sending out waves that a shark's going to care and I'm going to die. And now I'm going to be eaten by a shark. And oh my God. And I can't function in a way to even clear, like get any clarity to put my feet down where I can touch and be okay. Ian had to literally swim over to me and push me so that I could put my feet on the ground and be okay. But like, it literally goes from zero to a thousand sometimes without, there's just no rationale behind it. Like it's the worst thing ever. Wow. Yeah, what um, I had a, what the way to describe it or the way to explain it is, it's, it's your body's natural reaction. So the way that it was developed is, you know, we had to figure out ways to run away from predators. So we had to figure out how to like create that fight or flight. And so it's a fight or flight response to a, to a threat, but it is a perceived threat, not a real threat. And so it's like the, it's exactly the same as if there was a saber toothed tiger in the room and yet there's no tiger. Yeah. It's that 2 million year old lizard brain. And then you, what, uh -huh. hap what happens is you develop these, here I go with the science, neural pathways in yep. your in your brain that take you from zero to a million really fast. And if you don't work on stopping that and doing a pattern interrupt and breaking it, you can't get out of it. Um, yeah. And, it and I would you. say, I would say the best way for people who don't deal with it or haven't dealt with it or don't understand it or don't feel it is to, like you said, create the space um, to, to offer, what can I do to take some things off your plate? Like, how can I help you? Like little things like, like getting up to get a glass of water is hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. So like literally there's no task too small that is not important. And so I would, I would say those are really important. Um, connecting you with resources. So like download this meditation app, um, talk to a therapist, um, you know, talk to me, like just get it out, like whatever that looks like or creating the space for them to take time to, to heal and you just take things off their plate. Um, but definitely like, it doesn't seem real and it seems crazy. Like what you should not do, like that's just as important as what you should do is like, do not try and solve for the problem. 
Like, do not try and, and just be like, oh, well, let me, let me work you through this. Like, it's not really bad. There's not really an issue. There's no tiger in the room. Like, let me, like, cause that, that does not work. Like you cannot get through rationally to somebody who's going through that. You literally have to let them just kind of pace their way back to it and know that it's very like cyclical and, and like moment driven. And then the other thing is a lot of people who suffer with anxiety and depression tend to drink. And so encourage them not to use alcohol. Because, or substances in general. Or, or any, or any yeah. substance, yeah. Because ultimately like it will make it better temporarily, but it will make it much worse in the long run. And it's really, really hard. Like it sucks so bad to go like three days without drinking and it really sucks to go two weeks. Like that first two weeks is super, super hard to come back to like normal. But then after that, like, oh my God, it's game-changingly amazing. I think something too that really helps is I don't, I don't have anxiety. I mean, I don't, I don't recognize it anyway. Um, I probably do, but I just don't get, I don't have time. <laughs> It'll hit you one day. You can well, put it, it kind of hit me this weekend a little bit and something slowed me down, but I don't know what it is, but. Um, you know, for me, anytime I'm going through something stressful or, you know, not happy, I tend to post about it on social media because I feel like if I'm going through it, I know somebody else is too, but they're just afraid to talk about it. And I feel like that's one of the major issues I have with social media is there's so much, no one's authentic anymore. And if you were actually legitimately on there trying to help each other, you would probably inadvertently grow, not just yourself, but your business because people can relate to you if you're being honest, you know, like it, just tell people what's going on. Like I have struggled with weight loss and the way I deal with it is I make fun of myself and I post it on social media, but does that really help me a little bit? I mean, like I've just become more comfortable with my own skin, I guess. I'm not going to the gym, so I don't really care. Um, but I probably will cut back on the shower snickers, but, um, <laughs> so like, <laughs> I think that it's really helpful for people if they are honest and truthful on social media, instead of saying like, here's all this awesome stuff that's going on in my life. Let's talk about the stuff that's not awesome because that's the stuff that's going to help somebody else get through it. Right. Yeah. Can I just add to that real quick though? Yeah. Um, like don't go on social media and just whine and bitch and complain like, and, and, and say that that's you being authentic and you being real. Yeah. Like it, it's not there. It's a real delicate balance of how to pour, put yourself out there kind of real and raw and and not retouched and not filtered but not do it in such a way that you alienate people and that they're like oh don't worry about it. you'll be fine like you know like don't be like privileged annoying and be bitching about like the thing that doesn't matter like oh my gosh my waiter didn't bring the you know two lemons and i asked for it and it just right like that's all bullshit like you if you're going to tap into that like what we might consider negative side right? Because there's like the positive and then there's the struggle. And so if you're going to tap into that side that's more struggle oriented, like do so in a way that can resonate with people and that can still be impactful um, rather than just being like a whiny bitch. It's funny because I have posted about it in the past and then the commentary and the suggestions that go along with the post end up giving me anxiety because it's like, it's hard to articulate sometimes through social media, obviously, what people are trying to convey to you and what you're trying to convey to them. And people can only accept it for where they're at right now in that moment. And so I, nine times out of 10, have deleted the post because just the comments like, oh, you know, I tried St. John's Wort, not change. Like, bitch, if a earth changed my life, I would have done it 
I'm 37. I've had anxiety since I was 16. You don't think I've tried that? Yeah. Yeah. So like, do, do you guys think that social media, um, has, obviously it's, it's brought awareness to anxiety and, and mental health, but do you think it has caused yes. more mental health and more anxiety? Absolutely. Look at kids today. Like we talked, I talk about this. I have a 19 year old. So I talk about this candidly with a teenager who has been brought up in this world. And Colin says all the time that kids live in a world where they're sitting at a concert and it's more fun to them to show how much fun that they're having versus actually going and having fun because they live for the likes. They don't live for the moment. And that was something that my, at the time he was 17, had said to me, and it really resonated with me because I think even as adults, and he always uses the term, I'm constantly comparing my insides to other people's outsides. Mm -hmm. so he has to constantly drill back on like, it's okay that I didn't get accepted to college and it's okay that not all these things are perfect because I know that Johnny's mom and dad are going through a divorce. He's just choosing to not share about it on social media. He's just choosing to only share the good stuff. But I don't think a lot of kids have the ability and the capacity to filter that out the way that we has. Yeah, and it's a drug, right? It, it, mm -hmm. hits the, it, it hits the brain the same way that drugs do. And so if you're not careful about moderating that yourself, and I had somebody tell me yesterday that that's like, you know, that, that's self-moderated or basically like you are in charge of like cleaning up your own mess on that. And like, yes, that's true you, to remind yourself that like there is a, there is, that this isn't necessarily real or the whole picture or whatever, but you just have to know that like, if you're not in that space, like if you're struggling, if you have anxiety, like, like you just said, if you're, if those comments are causing you more distress than good, then just shut it down. Yeah. And if, and if you're not in a space where you can be that candle, like, and, and you need somebody else to shine that light, then, then turn it off. Like, don't go on the social, like don't give yourself access or exposure to those things that are causing you to have those negative reactions. And so, you know, maybe you need to take a break for it for, for a month or, or longer if it's mm -hmm. not serving you. Or maybe you, you only look in certain places. Like maybe there are groups or, or areas of social media that you find really fulfilling and positive and, or, or just block people or hide people. Like, you know, I, I like to think, so people always say, like we do a lot of social media and, and have like studied it, lead generation and all that stuff. And like people are always like, oh, aren't you worried that if you post too much that people are going to block you or whatever? Nobody ever blocks you. Um, you know why nobody ever blocks you? Because they want content. Um, everybody lives for content. You know, you get, have you ever gotten to the end of your Facebook feed and you just like refresh and refresh and you're like, where is the next fucking post? Like somebody, just somebody put a fucking cat video up. Like if I don't get a more juice in my brain, like I'm going to go crazy. And that's why nobody blocks you. But there, it's really fucking simple to just hide somebody. My block so, list is like 700 people deep. Yep. Yeah. So, so if you want to block somebody or hide somebody or whatever, like curate your own fucking world. Like make it so that when you plug into whatever you're plugged into, whether it's relationships in real life or relationships on the internet or wherever you're going to experience your day to day, make it so that it's contributing positively to your goals and where you want to be and, and everything that you want to do. Because if it's not serving you, like either fix it or fuck it. Like, right. So John, how old are your kids? Almost five and one. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know if you can answer this, but maybe the girls can, especially Jessica. Are you guys seeing anxiety in your kids? Are you are you already seeing it? 
And if so, what are you doing to help with it? I mean, there's no way my child doesn't grow up with anxiety growing up with everybody that he grew up with. So I'm just thankful that I get to work hard enough to pay for his future therapy. Because <laughs> he's fucked. Good luck. I don't want to go too deep on it since Colin's an adult now. I mean, he's going to be 20 this year. But, um, you know, Colin, Colin has struggled with depression and anxiety. And um, yes, so we have dealt with it very heavily in our household. Yeah. Um, can we switch gears for a minute yeah, and please. talk about, um, you're a luxury agent and a lot of agents have this, especially new agents have this idea in their head about the luxury market and how they all want to get into it. Oh um, my God, please don't. I don't. It sounds like terrible, um, <laughs> stress it. to me. Um, but can you tell, give some advice like for a newer agent or any agent that wants to break into that luxury market and what they need to do? Because I think a lot of it comes from confidence. We don't think that we're good enough for that market, right? Yeah. I think people want to prove themselves. I think it goes back to social media. Like you want to, you want to be that influencer you want those, you know, we call it real estate porn, right? So like a two bedroom condo doesn't look great on Instagram. Um, which is like one of the reasons that I don't really have Instagram. Like I have it, but it's not like my priority is because like it's, that's all for show. Right. And so ego, we talked about egomaniacs and ego, ego is, you know, that part of you that wants to, you know, inflate itself and, and demand its position. And it really ego fights against like who you really are as a person. And that all gets tied up in material shit like that. And so if you want if you want to be a luxury agent, I think it's important that you just sit back and look at why you want to be a luxury agent and what about that appeals to you. And, um, and if you really want to be a luxury agent, then you need to understand luxury brands and you need to understand luxury experiences. And so I tell people all the time to go, go live those things, like go to a really fancy resort, go to a fancy car dealership, like interact with the people, go live that world. Um, but that's not going to get you the business. And so the only way to get the business, if you want to be in that world is to go meet rich people. And if you find that you're, and if you find that you're drawn to wealthy people and that you interact with a lot of wealthy people, then that's probably a good thing for you. But it's just, it's hard because there's a lot of really great wealthy people out there. And then there's a lot of garbage and, um, money is just a volume dial. So, uh, you know, if anything that you are or anything that you have will be exacerbated by money. And so it makes bad people worse and it makes greedy people greedier and it makes all these, all these human tendencies. It just turns the volume up. And um, that's why I didn't want to work in the luxury space forever. Like I used to sell really expensive 35, $40 million houses um, with a partner. And I, I do that occasionally. Like I work with, you know, I'm, I have a $7 million listing coming up. I, you know, I've sold personally a $13 million house by myself. Um, I try not to play in that space all day because I want to be with people who uh, get up and go to work in the morning. They appreciate what I do and they, uh, they need my help. And I find that when you hit a certain level of luxury or, or wealth, that those people don't need you anymore and that they have staff and that it's just transactional and it doesn't have a deeper meaning or connection. And for me, like I didn't want to be a facilitator. Like I didn't want to just help two rich people switch houses. Like I didn't want to be like somebody's boat captain. Um, it all looks glam and glitzy, but at the end of the day, the most like we, I'll say this twice: the most successful real estate agent on the planet will never crack the Forbes 400. Like the the most successful real estate agent on the planet will never ever crack the Forbes 400 in terms of success, in terms of wealth. 
And so just because you're selling a $30 million house doesn't mean you live in a $30 million house. Mm -hmm. And just because you associate with really wealthy people doesn't make you wealthy. And just because you can go lease a brand new Mercedes or whatever it is, it doesn't make you of their caliber. And you need to realize that they don't see you as one of their own. This and, might be my favorite thing anyone's ever said. Right? And, and if they do, if they do see you as one of their own, it's because you're full of shit. And like, that's fine. You can play in their sandbox. You can serve them. You can be their butler, but you're still their fucking butler. That and, is. And, that, and that's, that's the truth is you're not a real fucking person to them. Now, ways you can infiltrate the luxury market. If you guys want your quick tips, go to charity events, hang out with rich people, go to fancy restaurants and spas and resorts and, and integrate them, become their database, sit in an open house. And when they walk through the door, be like, oh, well, you know, the Johnsons down the street, they just sold for, for 4.3 million, you know, Terry and Nancy. Oh yeah. And, da, da, da. and now you're name dropping and you're, and they're like, oh, you know, the Johnsons, well, you must be one of us. You're in this elite private club and you might join the country club and you might golf with them or whatever those things are, but you're still their fucking butler. So I had a transaction last summer, Jess will remember and laugh at this, um, where it was luxury for sure in my market and they were horrible to me. And I, it was so difficult for me to not be like, you are not fucking better than me. And I actually make more money than you do. And I don't understand why you treat people the way that you do. So I can't play in that space. Like I'll do it for friends or family or close referrals, but uh, going back to mental health or anxiety, those aren't my people. Like I'm the monster jam girl. Like I'll get in the dirt with you all day long. Yep. Will, do I enjoy doing luxury? I love, like my favorite thing is I love acreage properties because the price point is higher and I have to sell fewer of them, but they're my people. We have similar vibes, similar politics similar I just I can't play in that space man they those people like they hurt me like I feel mm -hmm. I feel like subpar and not good enough and like it it's absolutely it's so that so that's standards so when you want to talk people talk about standards all the time like and what you allow and don't allow people don't talk enough about their own personal standards of who they work with and so if you set a standard for who you work with it doesn't matter how much money you have so I don't care if your house is worth 20 million or, or 200,000. If you meet my criteria for the types of people that I choose to do business with, then you're in. So yeah. I, work, I work with really rich people, yeah. but they meet the same criteria. They get up and go to work in the morning, they appreciate what I do, and they need my help. And if they don't fit that criteria, they can fuck right off. Like no amount of money is gonna buy my, my service. Well, that just goes along with the whole like listing presentation. Like you don't have to go into every single listing presentation and take that listing. Mm -mm. You need to feel the vibe. You need to feel that you're going to serve them correctly and they're going to serve you correctly. And if you don't feel that, bounce. Don't take the listing. It's a partnership. Mm -hmm. So every listing, every sale, every real estate transaction is a partnership. But unfortunately, um, it's really, really hard to take that stand when you don't have the money. Mm -hmm. And so the, the first thing you have to do is you have to get your finances right. Yep. And so if you don't have your finances right, you have to figure out how you can put a plan together to get your finances right. Because until you do, you're just a whore for another deal. Yep. I will say something too. Um, oh, when I it comes you. to, I made a bad, really bad business decision um, when I opened my very first brokerage. I got into business with somebody that I did not realize that they were driven solely by money. 
I am not. I happen to have it, but I'm not driven by it. And I think that if you try and force that relationship, it's going to fail immediately because one of you is driven by something completely different and you have to really watch who you go into business with and you find out real quickly um, when you're up against a big issue and one of you only cares about the money and the other one cares about how do we make this right and how do we fix this for somebody and how do we take care of the person involved instead of just a transaction. Um, and I think that that's something that people forget about um, when they start to grow, um, make sure you're growing with the right people. So it's really easy. So when you so you have two, you have two types of people, you have people, you know, and you have people you don't know, right? This is your database and you, your goal should be to find, to talk to strangers, to meet people you don't know so that you can know them and move them into this side of the bucket. Right. Mm -hmm. The, the trick is, is for every like hundred of these people, maybe five of them are people you want to work with or do business with routinely. And so ultimately you, you have to go through all the crap to find your people, but the more of your own people and your people's people. So like your past client that you love, their friends are going to be more likely to be in alignment with your values and who you are. So why do you keep going to meet strangers? Why do you keep buying internet leads or doing all this stupid shit to grow your business that is just going to let more assholes into your life when you could ultimately go through the people you know who are fucking awesome and then they're going to bring more awesome people into your life. And what, so if you're going to spend your money, don't spend it on Zillow strangers, spend it on your cool friends and hope that they introduce you or, or expect them to introduce you to two or three other really cool people. Like it, I agree 150,000%. Yeah. That's why a referral based business is so much fun. It's so much better than, and it's so much less overhead than those businesses that are driven solely by buying leads. So I would never buy a lead. So ever. for people, there are people out there listening who are like, yeah, but that's great. You guys have a big database. You know, a ton of people. So, who, so like, I, I don't know anybody. I need to build a database. Here's the truth that nobody wants to acknowledge. It, a powerful database of 200 awesome people who mm -hmm. love you and sing your name from the rooftops is all you ever need. You will never, ever, ever need more than 200 people to accomplish any goal because each of those 200 people also knows 200 people and that spins out to about 24,000. Mm -hmm. And when you get to 24,000, you can raise all the money in the world. You can get elected president. You can sell every house you ever wanted to sell. Any goal you've ever wanted to achieve can be, can be first toppled by 200 close, amazing relationships with people who sing your praises. So I, I loved how you just said that. Like you hear all these mega agents or you hear all these big teams. Oh, I've got 5,000 people in my database. I got 10,000 people in my database. Well, I could tell you right now in my database right now. Yeah, I've got 4,000 people, but you want to know who gives me, how many gives me referrals? 400 of them, which is family, friends, and past clients. That's who gives me my referrals. That's where my business comes from. The rest, barely. It's like pulling teeth. Yep. So when you hear all these people saying, I've got 5,000, I've got 10,000, where's, where's it really coming from though? Yep. So if you have marketing budget, where should you be spending that marketing budget? On growing <laughs> and cultivating that relationship, right? That's it. Makes sense. Yeah. Or, or saving it, right? Or building or, or using it to enhance your operations. And yeah. so rather than buying more leads, what if you just made your service better? Um, yeah. 
No. I really like you. I know, right? <laughs> I, I just, I'm sorry. I'm geeking out. I mean, I knew that I really liked you, obviously. No, I like really like you. Oh, well, I, I really like you guys. I really appreciate you having me on. And um, yeah, I mean, do you have any more burning desires? Uh, any other hot um, questions I can I want to know where the I heart my wife hat oh. came from. Oh, because that's a good I need story. to get one for my husband. I feel like he needs it. And <laughs> no. so, so that happens a lot. So I get that a lot of like, where can I get it for my husband? So the answer that I found is you can't. Um, I'm sure you can have one made. Uh, the company, I bought it at a pop-up shop at an event. So like they did this little pop-up boutique. And, uh, and, and my wife was like, you should get this. And I was like, uh, and then I thought about it and I was like, you're right, I should get it. Um, I call that my, I'm a high eye and I like attention hat. Um, and so it's really great for public places. So I wear it to like concerts and like anywhere I'm going to be around a lot of people and like female bartenders love it. Um, I, I would always get like front of the line, like super friendly attention. Um, and everyone stops me and is like, where did you get that? My husband needs one or whatever. So it, I, I wear it because I do love my wife, but I also wear it because I, uh, yeah, I deeply uh, love attention in public places. <laughs> um, can I ask you about these Uber rides driver spotlight thing that you're doing? Because I think it's awesome and nobody does it. And I, it's pretty genius, I think. I mean, yeah. So Sheena and I, like, that's all part of the, the universe. And I think, um, you know, Lindsay will get me on that one. Um, the, you know, when you're on the right frequency and you have the right vibe, like the universe connects you with people that you otherwise wouldn't be connected to. And so like, I got in an Uber the other day, finishing up a conversation and the Uber driver just kind of jumped in. And, um, and, and I was like, well, it's your car. You're allowed to fucking be a part of this. Like I didn't, I don't own the car. Um, and so, you know, what you find is that when you start to share that, you put that stuff out there, like you'll, people will be brought into your world and it doesn't matter if they're like your Uber driver or the lady in the airport or the person sitting next to you on the bus or whatever that is. But when you pay attention and when your frequency is there, um, there's these amazing stories and they serve as markers. So like I said, I don't know the destination the markers are always there. And every, like I was at a concert the other day and the like opener, like third song in, like she was amazing. And like third song in, she just stopped. And she was like, okay, so this song is da da da. And she went into this whole thing about mental health and how she speaks at uh, middle schools and, and elementary schools and talks to children about mental health and anxiety and how she never planned on playing this song and she wrote it and sent it to someone she loved and their reaction was so crazy that she started sharing it and opening up about it. And I'm like, holy fucking shit, here I am at a concert and this woman is talking directly to me. Yeah. And, like, and, and like, that's a mile marker. That's like, that's something saying like, keep going. Like Rich has this phrase that's like really important, which is just keep going. And it's in all caps. And it's like, when you see those things, it's just an encouragement to keep going. Like you don't know where you're going and you don't know how far you've come and you don't always, you know, you don't always feel like putting one, one foot in front of the other. Like I just went through a whole week. Like I had one of the hardest weeks I've had in a long time. And, and I even said to Lindsay, I said like, where the fuck did my moon go? Mm -hmm. Like, I need that energy. Like I know when we're getting on the, like, at the end cycle of a moon, you can call me crazy, but I, I follow it religiously now and have for a while. And that's one of the ways we connected and like straight up, like I know when I need more self-care and I know when I can't give more of myself. And I woke up at 4.45 this morning, no alarm, super pumped up, 100% creative. And like my life was back and I was like, uh, 
better check the moon. And I pull it up and straight up that's yesterday amazing. was the new moon. And today it just started to grow again. And that's where, like, that's when I have my energy. And so then I, when I, when I have my energy, I run. And when I don't, I rest and I, and I take care of myself. And if you pay attention to your energy and your moods and your emotions uh, and your hormones, you will, you will find that it is so much easier to not fight the tide. Like run when you're strong, rest when you're weak, and, and just know that that's the cycle that your life is going to be in and give yourself enough space for that. Don't feel like you have to push yourself through periods where you need to give yourself a little bit more self-care. Um, so I don't want to go into, uh, uh, okay, like I don't want to go into like how to have an awakening if you haven't had one or how to get into all this other university stuff. But like for those of us that are really into that, do you have any favorite books or podcasts yeah. or prophets that you like to listen to like people that that really the uh, one that yeah the one that changed my life is i was on an airplane flying to europe as broke as i've ever been in eight thousand dollar seats and um and i didn't know where my life was going and it was really fucked up and i listened to a new earth by eckhart tolle eckhart tolle yeah and mm -hmm. eckhart tolle is like everything by him he's weird he's like a little hobbit i'm literally um, i'm i think i'm on my 14th time through it right now on audible yeah yeah and and he but he's if you just put that audio on and you really listen and you really connect like it's crazy um how you can get some space and some consciousness and realize that like who you really are is not the thoughts that go through your brain and it's not that inner dialogue and so when you can create space between who you really are and what you're what you're wrapped up in um that's the beginning of that whole awakening um, the last thing I want to talk about today with you is, can you tell us a little bit about what messy middle is and who it applies to and why it's a thing? And I, I don't know if anybody else is in it. I know I'm in it. Um, mm -hmm. Lindsay probably is, Jess. Yeah. I just joined last night because I didn't know about it. Uh, I know. I approved you. I was super stoked. I was like, oh, there's another, there's another friend. Um, yeah, let me, so I worked on this this morning. So uh, Susan is one of my co-founders, Susan Glenn's. And she had been asking me for an update on the mission and where we're going, because where we are today with Messy Metal is very different maybe than where we started. And I do have a really big vision for it. And I don't have the destination, but I can give you what I wrote as a draft of the mission. And so what I wrote down is um, to the Messy Metal mission to create a world for leaders to engage together, inspire one another, interact genuinely, give generously, open up bravely, fall down honestly, rise above often, and grow stronger daily on their journey in success through relationships, such that they may go forward with those they lead as a light in the darkness, a shoulder to cry on, strength to the weary, bravery for the scared, a model of selflessness, hope for the hopeless, kindness omnipresent, and integrity in a vacuum, shining a bright path ahead for those seeking something more from a leader. That is fucking awesome. That's really beautiful. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Yes. And, and so Messy Metal is the tribe that Sheena and Susan and I created, and it's 2,500 members almost now, and, and it's a place for no fucking bullshit on the internet. It's a place, in my vision, it's a place for any type of leader. It's not just real estate. It happens to be full of real estate agents because that's who I know and how it started. But my goal is that everyone brings any type of leader or business owner or anyone who wants to succeed through other people into the group and into the tribe. And it's a place to become a better leader because everything's easy when you're just dealing with yourself. And when you start to have to deal with other people and grow through people and relationships, 
and understand how to lead people, um, that's where shit gets really messy. And, uh, and we're not taught that. Like nobody's taught how to interact with people, how to take care of people, how to be, you know, it's very rare. You know, you go to leadership conferences. I saw a bunch of people like Grant Cardone, 10X, and I fucking guarantee you that they, they weren't sitting there talking about how to take care of people. They were talking about how to fucking crush their goals and 10X their life. And so, you know, I, I needed, I needed an outlet. I had, it came out of a need that I had for that. And, um, yeah, that, that's where it came from. So you have get-togethers, meetups? Yeah, we do. We've done events. We're doing a retreat outside of Austin, uh, October 19th through 21st. That is limited to 40 people. It's at a really cool, um, you know, winery, luxury destination. It's all inclusive. Put it up there on your background. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, put it. Yeah, it's a. It's at Here, I'll show you a couple uh, virtual backgrounds of where it's at. It's uh, it's here. So it's at Camp Lucy. It's going to be really gorgeous. This is the fireplace that we'll be roasting s'mores on. So what, um, is, what is it? What are you going to be doing? So this one is dedicated to, um, to health, health and wellness. So it's going to be about physical health and it's going to be about mental health and it's going to be about spiritual health and emotional health and how to, how to be a healthy best version of yourself and how to um, lead and inspire your team and the people that you're in relationship with to be them, their best selves and to take care of themselves and, and have, it's, it's about, you know, this version is to be really holistic and to, to address some of these issues um, that just don't get talked about enough, so. You know what would be really cool? Doing it with kids. Yeah. Having one for kids and their parents, that would be a cool one. That would be really cool. And we just partnered with this amazing company called Campowerment that um, is gonna help us do uh, a lot more of these. They're going to help us put them on and, and plan some of the details and find some of the guest speakers and a lot of the stuff that I just don't have the bandwidth to do. Um, and so we're planning on doing more of these and, um, and we'll be rolling out more. My, my vision is that we'll probably start doing them twice a year and then quarterly, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So. Can you tell people how to um, grab a ticket? Yeah, I don't Me- know messy, messymiddlemastermind.com and it's called Off the Record. Um, and so it's the tab at the top off the record and it's in Austin or outside of Austin and you can go on and, uh, and purchase tickets. And if you have questions, you can ask me. And if you have an interest, it's messy middle mastermind on Facebook, feel free to join our group. Um, we'd love to have you. And it's a super safe and fun space for leaders. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, you may not realize it, but, um, I happen to have been ATL um, very briefly. And so what you said resonated with me um, very clearly. Um, so I thank you on behalf of everybody that's listening to it because your vulnerability is, yes. is incredible and it's, it's inspired me, um, honestly, to not hide the things about myself that I don't like. Um, so thank you so much for doing that. Um, Again, if you guys need to find John, he's all over social media. Um, John Pugh, he's on Facebook, sometimes on Instagram, but he's probably not posting any gigantic houses on there, so don't follow him. Um, but please go to MessyMiddleMasterminds.com and, and check that out and yeah, help sure. show yourselves and stop sure. lying about how awesome the life really is when it's not. So Join our community. We would love to have you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. You are, you are all phenomenal women, and I really appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, this is phenomenal. We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. 
Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlco.